invite you to make your way to Matthew chapter 2. Our text is going to be verses 1 through 12. And the message today is entitled, Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. We often gaze upon the beauty of the nativity scene, the holy family, the father, uh, earthly, and the mother, as well as the baby conceived of the Holy Spirit, the shepherds, the wise men, uh, together with a collection of animals. And technically, there is maybe more going on than meets the eye. Uh, the full story can be found when we read Matthew chapter 2 and learn of these wise men, these magi, these uh, people who came to find Jesus and were guided by the star of Bethlehem. The Gospel of Matthew is the only gospel to mention the Magi, the wise men. Uh, Matthew helps us make some connections in the prophetic mention of Jesus and his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, Matthew continually shows us how Jesus fulfilled the ancient prophecies about the coming Messiah and who Jesus truly is as the Savior of the world. And the coming of the Magi, or the wise men, in and of itself, is a prophetic fulfillment of a sign. It connected with something from the past. It announced that something important was going on in the present. And it predicted something about the future. And there are many things that are amazing about the events surrounding Christ's birth. But this star of Bethlehem certainly stands out. And we know ultimately that the star points to the one who is the star, the one who is the focus, the one who gets the glory and the one who gets the worship. The word translated in our passage as star is the normal word for star or celestial body. And it was no ordinary star. It was a stellar phenomenon. It came in the midst of a series of miracles surrounding the birth of Jesus. But remember that God can use natural law, which he created. He can overcome it and he can do something that is supernatural. He can do something that will bring about his purposes and his will. After all, he's the one who designed the universe. He's the one who spoke it all into being, and this should not surprise us. Now, these magi who would come from the east noticed something unusual around the time of the birth of Christ. Uh, the word is translated as wise men or magi, depending on what your translation is, and it originally referred to to a group of men who were basically Persian wise men. They were something like priests, but even more so, they were interpreters of signs, of special signs. They were astronomers who could look at the uh, creative signs around them uh, in what God had made and learn some things from it, and they were students of that. And here we pick up now in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, and here's what the Scripture says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at his rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Verse 7, Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen rising at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. The Bible does not tell us the exact number of the Magi who came because of the reference of the gifts of the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. It's been traditionally assumed that there were three of them, but of course that's conjecture since we're not told specifically in the Scripture. Uh, These gifts had significance. Each one had a purpose, and I'm going to refer to that here in just a few moments. Uh, But these gifts were also associated ordinarily with desert camel trains that would come through from places like Sheba. Uh, We don't know exactly uh, how long after the birth of Jesus that the Magi came looking for him, but they came bearing these gifts. Uh, John H. Hopkins Jr. penned these words and also the music of his carol of the wise men, and he said, We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar. Well, they likely were not kings in the proper sense. Uh, The tradition of the Magi's kings can be traced back to Tertullian in the early church, uh, probably from Old Testament passages that reference that kings would come and bow down and worship the Messiah. Uh, They were likely from Persia or modern-day Iran, so they would have made a journey of some 800 to 900 miles. Now, as they made this 800 to 900-mile journey, it would not have been all at once. They would have been making their way there and following the star. And the term um, is associated, the Magi or the wise men, is associated with this group of people, this class of people uh, who understood uh, royal births. They understood the signs of the times. In fact, the Babylonians had this well-developed system of astronomy and astrology. And when the Jews had been taken into captivity in that part of the world, along with them, they had brought the scriptures. So there was information circulating, even if it was incomplete, that these wise men would have had access to, and they would have understood that something was going to happen according to the prophecy in the Jewish scripture. Uh, Daniel 9 provides a a prophecy which gives a timeline for the birth of the Messiah. There are other passages as well. There are many prophecies about it. Um, And uh, they may have also been aware of the prophecy of Balaam, who specifically mentions a star coming out of Jacob. So what we'll say here is that this star of Bethlehem appearing was miraculous. It was something that God did supernaturally. They saw the star, they connected what they knew about Christ, and they came to Jerusalem. It remains a bit of a mystery. It's a miracle. It's one of those wonders of the Christmas season that we don't have to explain away. But it is interesting that there's also some extra biblical Uh, Support for the fact that there was a star of Bethlehem at that time. In fact, historically, um, uh, Chinese 
uh, astronomers have actually identified what they call a guest star that possibly was a nova or a supernova that appeared during the timeline of the birth of Jesus. So I want to ask and answer this question in these few moments that we have together. We know that the star is not the ultimate story, but the star points to the one who is the ultimate story. So with that in mind, what was the purpose of the star of Bethlehem? Well, first of all, the star showed that Jesus was the king of the Jews. The star showed that Jesus was the king of the Jews. So we've got this elaborate entourage of the Magi who come to Jerusalem. They appear in Herod's court inquiring about the birth of the king of the Jews. And at the time, the Jews were often despised and dishonored. Unfortunately, similar to what we're seeing today, even in our culture. And these Magi, even though the Jews had been despised and dishonored in many ways, they apparently assumed that this man called Herod, who was responsible for the region that the Jews lived in, would be aware of and also excited about the birth of the Messiah. But that was not the case. He certainly should have been aware of it. They were aware of it. Uh, There is a prophecy in the book of Numbers that describes a star coming from Jacob and a king or a scepter from Israel. Numbers 24 and verse 17 says, A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. He will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down all the Shethites. So this verse speaks of a star that will rise out of Jacob and it was interpreted messianically, correctly, uh, in Judaism. This star then would become a symbol for the Messiah. Now, you'll want to note here that Jesus is referred to as the king of the Jews two times in his earthly life. The first is at his birth by the Magi. The second is at his trial and his crucifixion. That's not inconsequential. All four Gospels record the words, the king of the Jews, as part of Pilate's instructions to the angry crowd and Pilate's address to Jesus. It is significant that only non-Jews use this title to describe Jesus in these instances, highlighting the truth of John 1 and verse 11, where the scripture says he came to his own, and yet his own did not receive him. The meaning of Messiah is anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. As the son of David, the Messiah was chosen by God to fulfill the Davidic covenant and to rule on the throne in Jerusalem. And some recognize the uh, potential that Jesus, in fact, was the king, uh, even in his earthly ministry. And the kingdom of God came near when Jesus came near. But this was not new. And the reason it was not new is that people who understood the scripture were anticipating all the way back in Genesis 3 and verse 15 that there was going to be a deliverer, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus, the Messiah, would come as the fulfillment of the one who is the deliverer. And it was used, the king of the Jews was, in both political and a prophetic sense, but yet the people were not fully understanding what it all meant. They were envisioning a political ruler. They were not envisioning a humble servant. They failed to see that God's kingdom would be spiritual and ultimately the the eternal nature of it would be in the heavenly realm. And the king, King Herod at that time, uh, who was ruling over the people, was disturbed. 
And the scripture says that all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. That's probably an understatement because here's this delegation. They're coming to Jerusalem. They're coming to honor uh, the real king. Uh, They're coming to worship at the temple. Uh, This would not have been unusual. But they stirred things up when they arrived. And the reason they stirred things up when they arrived is that Herod saw this newborn Messiah as a threat, not as a blessing. And the people were troubled because they knew that this paranoid king was not stable in the way that he responded to things. He was unpredictable, and they were troubled as a result of that. Uh, A later Roman philosopher quoted the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus as saying, I'd rather be Herod's sow than I had Herod's son. Now, Herod didn't eat pigs, but he did murder his sons. Uh, Two were executed the year before the birth of Jesus, and then a third was executed just days before Herod's death. He did not like any threat around him, and he would do whatever he needed to do to try to eliminate the threat around him. So he calls together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asked where the Christ was to be born. The answer came in verse 5. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And then we find verse 6, a quotation from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Bethlehem was the ancestral home of David, of course, and the place of the birth of Jesus. And the Magi were seeking the king of the Jews, so Herod asked the scholars around him where the Messiah would be born. And they knew that they were seeking no ordinary king. They were rather seeking the Messiah himself. The quote here in Micah 5 and verse 2 uh, is a quote that is a reminder that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And he would be a ruler to shepherd God's people, Israel. Now let's make some connections here. Herod was not a descendant of David. He was, in fact, a strong ruler. He was a builder. Um, He was an administrator. But he was also a cruel and a dark man. He was not a a good man. He loved power. He inflicted heavy tax burdens on the people. He resented the Jews in many ways. He was considered at best to be half Jew and an Edomite. And the Romans, however, had seen a talent from him. And his talent was nothing more than he could control a populace. He could keep a region under control, and he knew how to do that. But yet here was the one who would rise, who was a threat to him. And in Herod's eyes, the child had to be destroyed. So Herod's questions are initially public, and then he interrogates the Magi in secret. He finds out precisely when the star appeared, and then according to verse 16, just a little bit later on, he uses the information to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem, who were two years and under. He told the Magi, as soon as you find him, I want you to report back to me because I want to worship him. Herod did not want to worship him. Herod wanted to kill him. The star showed that Jesus was the king of the Jews. Second, the star showed the way to Jesus. Now the Magi were sent out by Israel's uh, Rome-installed king to find the newborn and long-awaited Christ. They're going off of their information that they've already had from prophecy in the scripture. They're following after the appearance of this miraculous star that has appeared in the sky. 
They're convinced that the king of the Jews has, in fact, been born. So they come to Jerusalem looking for him. And Herod appoints them to Bethlehem instead, based on the prophecies quoted about the Messiah from Israel's religious leaders. Remember, Bethlehem's only about six miles to the south of Jerusalem. And as they set out, Herod's direction was confirmed by the reappearance of the star that they had been tracking. And it says in verse 9, after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. So we don't know exactly what happened here, but it seems like the star uh, disappeared for a while, then reappeared for a while, then went ahead of them. It moved and led the way. But at any rate, this was not just a random star that was in the sky, and they're just kind of going in the general direction, hoping that they're going to end up somewhere. This is a star that was taking them directly to show them the way to Jesus. The star had risen in the sky, and it led them to the place where Jesus was. The star that inspired their trip in the first place now leads them directly to where the Christ was. Colin Nickel, the commentator, said wherever Jesus was at this time, whether in a stable, a cave, or in the part of a house normally used by animals, he was certainly in a house by the time the Magi arrived on the scene. Presumably, as soon as the census was over and the population of Bethlehem had returned to normal levels, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus moved into living quarters that were more suitable for human habitation and would remain there until they eventually fled from Bethlehem to Egypt. Now these wise men had spent a considerable amount of time following this star. To follow this star, they had left home. They had set out, and they're pilgrims at this point. Uh, they undoubtedly had faced many perils and obstacles along the way. And in spite of all that, they get there. And I want you just to imagine, if you had been among them, that you had the information because somebody had communicated it through the Jewish scriptures. You knew about the star. You had enough belief in the information that you had and the star that you had seen that you're going to follow it. So you set out and you follow it. You're going through a lot of difficult places and potential dangers. And I want you to just imagine for a moment, there you are. You made it. And who's there? None other than Jesus the Messiah. Can you imagine the moment? Can you imagine how overwhelmed they must have felt when they arrived at where he was? They found him in a humble setting, and it was transformative. Now, as we think about the star, the star is also connected with light. Light is a common metaphor in the Bible. I think it's common, uh, a common metaphor, but I think it's an uncommon usage because it, God used light to point to the light. Now this is good because 1 John 1 and verse 5 says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. So light represents righteousness and goodness, whereas darkness represents evil and sin. And you remember that it's Jesus who said in John 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So light has this dramatic effect on everything that it touches. Light makes it possible to see. A light might warn a ship away from danger. Emergency lights might warn drivers of something dangerous ahead. 
light speaks of security and reassurance. Even when we're in a dark house alone and we hear an unfamiliar voice, what's the first thing that we do? We go for the light. We want to turn the light on because we want to see what's going on. And we want to know what's happening around us. So God's plan was that he would shine forth the light to the world through his son, the Messiah. That Jesus would come into the darkness of this world and he would light it up. And he's the one that we look to because he's the one who leads us out of the darkness. And when we've been led out of the darkness and we are walking in the light, we then have the responsibility to share the light. We have the privilege to shine the light into the world. And Jesus said that we are the light of the world when we are in him. And we have this great privilege. And God's purpose for the star of Bethlehem was to show the way to Jesus. Now today we have direction and we have clear direction from the word of God and from the Holy Spirit. The word of God written and given to us as the revelation from God is a reminder to us of the living word king jesus and he is the one that we look to he is the marker and the word that has been given to us points to him it's the spirit of god who comes and takes that word that we have learned the the very truth of god the righteousness of god and the spirit of god applies it to our lives so the magi they were guided by the star they were guided by the light they were guided by the information they had but today, you're going to be guided by something. And you ought to be guided by the truth of God's Word and the Spirit of God who brings it to bear on your heart. And there's some folks, undoubtedly, in a group this size who know a lot about Christmas. They might even love the pageantry of Christmas. They love the gift-giving of Christmas. They love the food of Christmas. They love everything that goes on around Christmas. But yet not know the Jesus of Christmas, the Christ of Christmas. Now I want you to think about the absurdity of that. That you would love everything about it. You'd love the family, you love the, the fellowship, you love everything that goes wrong with the pageantry of Christmas, but yet you don't know the Christ of Christmas. I'm here to tell you today that the greatest need any of us have is to know Him, to have a relationship with Him. And we come to Him in repentance and faith. That's the only way that we can make our way to God is because he brings us to himself in Jesus. And that leads me to this last point. The star showed that Jesus came so people could know God. Verse 11 says they entered the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. What did they do? They fell to their knees and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We're not given details on the specifics of what they understood about Jesus or how he would save or reign, but we know that they were interested in these signs that they had seen, these prophecies that they had heard, these supernatural happenings that they had experienced, and they believed that Jesus is the true king, and they wanted to pay homage to him. So they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, and one would never appear before royalty without bringing a gift. The gold speaks of royalty. The frankincense speaks of divinity and priesthood. The resin would glitter, and it was used for religious incense to create a specific aroma. 
the myrrh speaks of death and it had a strong smell it was used for uh, perfume or most specifically for embalming which would be why it's symbolic relative to the life and the death of Jesus all of these gifts were costly and Jesus was worthy of them all now in the meantime old Herod he's hostile he's not happy about it he hated Jesus the religious leaders were probably largely indifferent because they were concerned with their religious respectability and maybe their eyes were blinded not to see the truth. But here are these magi. What did they do? They came and they found Jesus and they worshipped him at, at great cost. And you know, in part, what I think this message tells us in, in the magi coming, Matthew makes it clear to his Jewish audience that God's plan from the beginning was that Christ Jesus would be the Messiah of all people, not just Israel. And Luke 2 and verse 32 says that he's the light of the nations and the glory of Israel. So here's the point. Jesus came for the Jews and Jesus came for the Gentiles. He came for the shepherds and he came for the magi. He came for the lowly and he came for the honored. He came for the poor and he came for the rich. But this message is for all peoples, all nations. And now, today, God is still building a family for himself. And he's building a family for himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And one day, when we get to heaven and we gather around the throne of God, there are going to be people there from every part of the world and from every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And they're going to be doing the same thing. They're going to be giving praise and glory to the Lamb. And here are these magi. When they study the scripture and they follow the star, they weren't satisfied with knowing about Jesus. They said out to find him and they persevered in their search and they worshiped him that's really the only right response the sign comes from heaven the message of the gospel is communicated we hear the word from the scripture and we desire to know him they fell down before the child in worship they received confirmation of what they believed to be true and they adored him and gave homage to him with gifts that were fit for a king. You see, the Magi stand out for all nations, including us, who would come to worship Jesus and see the glory of God. That's the purpose of the star, to point the way to the one who has paid the penalty for our sins, who has been buried in a borrowed tomb, and who was raised on the third day. I say to you today, Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our best. Why would we give Jesus the leftovers? Why would we try to just squeeze Jesus in when it's convenient? Jesus is worthy of our worship. And he is the king of the Jews. He is the only way to God the Father. And he is worthy of our praise. Here in just a moment as we close out, we're going to sing uh, an old song that goes along with this message. Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. I love this song. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine down upon us until the glory dawns. Give us light to light the way into the land of perfect day. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we consider and reflect on this Christmas message. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've been forgiven of your sins, covered by his blood, 
you got a lot to be thankful for at Christmas because you've received the indescribable gift in Christ. And our lives should worship Him in all that we do because He's worthy. But maybe you would say, I, I know I came here today as, as not a believer, as not a follower of Jesus. I know about Him, I respect Him, I believe the story, but I don't know Him. Well, you can today. You can receive the greatest gift of all if you'd only be willing to repent and believe in the gospel and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. He's worthy of your best, not your leftovers. And if you receive His grace and mercy, your life will never be the same. What a great gift it would be at Christmas to receive the greatest gift of all. Lord Jesus, we honor you today. You are ultimately the beautiful star of Bethlehem. You're the one that shines to show us the way and uh, takes us to the Father uh, through your ultimate sacrifice. I pray in this Christmas season, whether it be when we're sitting down at our tables to have a meal with family or whether we're chatting with a friend or maybe making a phone call to somebody we haven't talked to in a long time, I pray that Jesus would be at the center of it all, that he would be on our hearts and on our lips and that his praise would reign in this season and always. So we give this time of uh, conclusion over to you. If there are steps of faith that need to be taken or prayers that need to be prayed, I pray that people would come as, as we sing. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing, O Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. O Beautiful Star of Bethlehem, shining afar through shadows dim, giving a Christmas to you, and if you are traveling on the road, going to see family or whatever, please be safe.